Welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. So glad to have you be part of our show today. If you're just catching our sports medicine show, what we do is uh, we are a sports entertainment show with a sports medicine niche. In other words, we talk about hips, knees, back, shoulders, different injuries, maybe your favorite player, your favorite team that may keep them out of the playoff or help them get into the playoffs. And uh, it's basically what I do at my day job at Texas Sport and Spine. And uh, I do it each week with my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University. Been a long-time sports broadcaster, multiple different entities. Ferris, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely, man. Glad to be here. Man, we got a lot of great stuff going on, and we're going to have a couple of great guests on our, uh, our first segment, our second segment here on our two-hour show. First hour is carried on SB Nation. If you don't catch our first hour, you can catch our second hour by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. In our first hour, we're going to have on Washington Nationals athletic trainer Dale Gilbert talking all things Washington Nationals. Man, if you're, you're a baseball fan, you have to understand the Washington Nationals have been in the news a lot. Lot, Ferris, this last uh, few months because of the, the great Bryce Harper free agency is up. So we'll be talking to Dale Gilbert about not only that, but everything else going on with the Washington Nationals. And then we're going to have on our second hour, we're going to have on Dustin McComas. He is uh, all things University of Texas. He is a beat writer for OrangeBloods.com, talking a uh, little Sugar Bowl coming up with University of Texas, University of Georgia, and then also talking about their basketball team who uh, got off to a quick start with a big win over University of North Carolina. And then, of course, what's going to be going on in baseball where they're a perennial, uh, you know, just super team in baseball. So all that and more. Man, Ferris, right up your alley talking to good friend Dale Gilbert, who's been with numerous teams, including the Arizona Diamondbacks. Thanks for getting uh, both of these guests for our show today. Yeah, he was my next door neighbor. He was the uh, the coordinator, rehab coordinator for the Kansas City Royals out in Surprise, Arizona, then got the gig with the Major League team uh, up with the Nationals, which is what they all aspire. And uh Great, great guy. And then I'm looking forward to catching up with Dustin, too, about the University of Texas. they got a lot going on. Yes, they do. Hey, oh, remember, you can follow our show anytime, anywhere by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Or maybe you want to follow us on social media. You can do that by going to at docsandjocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Love to have your question. Just contact us at docsandjocks.com, and uh, we'll try and get you your question on air as well. We'll be right back. Myself, Dr. Dan, and Ferris here on Docs and Jocks in just a moment. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us. Hey, Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine doctor with uh, Tech Sport and Spine, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, I thought we'd jump right into the sports medicine news. Big story this week broke with New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton. Uh, he was talking uh, to the media, and uh, they had seven starting offensive linemen in their last week's game. They lost two of them, which means they had one in reserve before they were going to have to go try and stick somebody else in an offensive lineman mm-hmm. position who wasn't an offensive lineman. By the way, that would be a terrible, terrible role to be in. Be a maybe a horrible, horrible. Be a 240, 250-pound uh, like tight end going up against a giant defensive lineman. I would just hold all the time. I hope they didn't <laughs> call too. it. Just every time, just grab him yeah. and hang on. Hey, tell the referee, hey, this is my position. I'm not going to get mauled. Dude, come on. I'm not going to die out here, so I'm going to be holding. Just let you know, I'm going to be holding. <laughs> so give me a solid. Give me a break. Man. Yeah. So Sean, I didn't know this. So they don't dress everybody. There is a, uh, I believe it's a 53-man roster, but only 46 of them are dressed and on the sidelines. And Sean Payton was saying. Hey, for safety's sake and for injury's sake, we need to have the ability to bring in players when needed. When we're low on offensive linemen, we need to expand that roster so we can uh, 
account for the number of injuries that may occur at any given time. And remember, we're only, uh, I think, about, what, two games left in the season. So we're down near the end. A lot of these teams are getting low in certain positions, whatever that might be. You might be low in linebackers. You might be low in offensive linemen, defensive linemen, cornerbacks, safeties. So uh, what do you think about Sean Payton, Payton saying because of injuries, because we might be sticking a player in a position that he doesn't play, like offensive lineman, which would be horrible, terrible, being in the NFL and not not being in that position, being stuck in there, and it's uh, protection for the players if we carry a larger number of players. Yeah, I've never understood why you can't dress in some ways as many as you want. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. you see that with the quarterback; a guy gets hurt, and the second string quarterback gets hurt. If that happens, usually there's like an emergency quarterback who's like a receiver or a yeah. you know a running back or something, or to, you know. And yeah. it's just like you know, the kicker gets kicker or the punter gets hurt, and now the kicker's punting. You know, uh-huh. I always thought that was interesting. So I, I I kind of agree with them. It might even be something that you do. You expand the rosters. You know, like after the tenth week or after the eleventh week or something like that. Or you have guys dressed that, you know, just can't play unless there's an injury. But of course, then you'd have guys like Belichick would be having guys feign injuries, and then a guy <laughs> would come in for a play. Then oh, that guy's healthy. He's coming back. You know, <laughs> yeah. you'd have all that. But I, is there any? I mean, why wouldn't they just allow you to dress? There's got to be some reason. I was trying to think through this whole thing. I don't understand why you can't play, can't dress all of them. I'm not sure why you can't pull up guys from the practice squad emergently and let them yeah. play too, because you know you've got an, basically an entire another team on your practice squad. You know we've had guys who've been on the practice squad on the show before. We've had Frank Beltre, uh, Edmund Gates, even Case Keenum was on the practice squad when he first came up. So yeah, not being able to bring those guys up in an emergency situation due to injury, there's got to be something to do with the uh, NFL Players Association and guys getting paid and not paid. And there's more. There's, it always comes down to money when things don't quite make sense in the NFL or Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, it says that they have the 46 are active for the game, but there's 53 on the roster. Yeah. So what? So seven of them have to be, I guess, declared inactive. It is interesting though. When we were talking about this, I Googled. I started to Google. I was going to Google how many NFL players can dress. And I Googled how many NFL players. And the first thing that came up said, are felons. <laughs> so that's what Google thought I wanted to know. Evidently, that's the most Google thing. How many NFL players are felons? No, I don't care. I want to know how many can dress. Yeah, maybe the other seven they can't play between 46 and the 53-man roster. Maybe those seven are the felons we're talking about. And that's, maybe that's, you get seven <laughs> felons per team. You get seven for felons, that's exactly. There you go. Oh, there you go. speaking of which, uh, the Patriots lose uh, Josh Gordon down. To, uh, good Lord, man. Come on, Yeah, not man. a felon not necessarily, a felon. but just, oh, yeah, that guy needs it. Yeah, again. Hopefully he can get his head right, but it doesn't yeah, look good, right? Yeah, no, it does not look good. And, man, just. After spending a year out to get his head right, now he's back uh, off the uh, NFL again. So sad. But, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with Sean Payton. I'm not sure why, if you're down low on offensive linemen, you can't bring someone up from the practice squad, increase the – like you said, there's probably some competitive advantage that coaches would figure out how to make that work for themselves, you know, as far as bringing up more players and, I, I don't know, rotating in and out. But, uh, yeah, I, I think from an injury standpoint, that would be horrible to be brought in. Is probably your tight end would have to be a guy that would go to the offensive line and suddenly uh, become an offensive lineman. So I don't want to be that position. It would be pretty simple, right? You just have to say, hey, look, if you have these seven guys, they're dressed, they're ready to go, they warm up, but they can only come in if somebody is injured and you declare him out for the rest of the game. That seems simple so to if, me. So if you replace him, your, your tackle breaks his leg. Okay, he's out for the rest of the game. Okay, this guy can now come in and play if we need him to. Yeah. 
I, I don't know why that isn't a rule. But that's what Sean Payton was saying, that that's what they need to increase. I think that's something yeah. they'll have to address. I don't know. Yeah, because they got down to five. You know, you obviously had to have four starting, so Oof, they had one backup if somebody went down. So, yeah, they went from start of a seven, got down to five, within <laughs> within one guy being no backup in the offensive line if they lost him. Well, yeah, and especially an offensive lineman because, I mean, it's uh, look, everything's predicated on quarterback play. Bad quarterback play makes bad football games. It makes bad fan experience. So you definitely want to have, I mean, Drew Brees protected by an actual offensive lineman as opposed to like a, a backup tight end. Yeah, or I guess you would bring a defensive lineman in when you're backup defensive lineman. You're probably back. most people have played defensive line, have played offensive line somewhere along the way, you know, off, whether it's college or high school or something. They were a lineman that maybe they went both ways in high school and stuff like that. But still, yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Sean Payton on that one, though. Hey, Atua Tagovailoa, I love saying his name. I can never get his name right. The Alabama starting quarterback, he uh, suffered a high ankle sprain, so we're going to call him Tua. He uh, re-aggravated against Georgia, and so backup Jalen Hurts, he came in and obviously beat Georgia in the uh, Alabama-Georgia, you know, basically to see if Georgia was going to be able to make the crack the top four. They end up yeah. the season ranked top five, going to be going up against Texas, who we're going to be interviewing Dustin McComas with orangebloods.com. Don't want to miss that, talking about that matchup. And so uh, – it's so interesting because this is the exact opposite of what happened last year in the national right. championship when you saw, you know, when Hertz basically started and was replaced by Tua. So Tua was expected to start, and his rehab is ahead of schedule. That's what all, all every indication is so far for everything I can find on scouring the uh, sports medicine news. And uh, they said his high ankle sprain is uh, is uh, healing well. So for those, we're going to talk about the uh, – your, your take on how the exact opposite happening this year, Ferris, but a high ankle sprain for our listening audience who hasn't heard me explain this before. Your ankle is basically made into, uh, you know, you have your inside compartment called your medial compartment. That's where, you know, uh, if you reach down and touch the inside part of your leg, that part of your ankle is medial, and it has a great big ligament called your deltoid ligament, strong ligament. Then on the outside, that's called your lateral ankle. You have three ligaments uh, on that side, and they are, and when you roll your ankle in, that's a lateral ankle sprain. And then the high ankle sprain is a piece of tissue that lives between your two bones in your leg called your tibia and your fibula. Your fibula is a small strut bone on the outside, weight bears about 15%. Your tibia is the big weight-bearing bone that takes the majority of weight-bearing, about 85% of your lower leg, your ankle. And they are connected by a piece of tissue. We sometimes call that a syndosmosis. There'll be a test after uh, this bears with you spelling syndosmosis and your anterior tibiofibular ligament. So all that to say, the piece of tissue that connects your two leg bones down around your ankle, when you sprain that, that is a high ankle sprain. And it usually means that you had to have a pretty heavy force placed through the ankle to sprain that because, like, imagine your foot rolling out and getting your foot pushed down in the ground. Like a running back running, he's getting tackled, his foot is planted, and someone comes and lands and pushes his ankle down and rolls it out. Yeah. That would force a splaying a part of the tibia and the fibula, and that would sprain that ligament in between. And so that's a high ankle sprain. That's what oftentimes is associated with a longer rehab course than just a simple uh, lateral ankle sprain. And those, when I say simple, they can also be very complicated. Uh, there's different grades of lateral ankle sprains. But typically a rollover, rolling your ankle in, it's about four to six weeks. High ankle sprains, mm-hmm. six to eight weeks, kind of on average. But, but usually you have a combination of injuries. So does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. S-Y-N-D-O-S-M-O-S-I-S. Uh, you had an E, you had an O instead of an E somewhere. Sin does this. Yes. Did you get it? Did you spell it right off the computer? S-Y-N-D-O-S? Sin osmosis. Yes. Osmosis. Yes. S- it's S-Y? Sin osmosis. Oh, maybe I nailed it. I don't know. I didn't look. I just, <laughs> I'm, just I'm guessing here. S-Y-N-D-O-S-M-O-S-I-S. 
Huh. Hey, you know, the cool thing about this is, though, we see kids all the time when they lose their starting job because they want to go to the NFL and they can't go to the backup. They always transfer. And and, and Jalen could have transferred easily, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere uh, who would have wanted him. I mean, we saw Baker Mayfield did it and it made sense for him. Left Remember, out of to, what, Texas Tech and went yeah. to Oklahoma. Remember, Nick Saban didn't make did the it. call really. Or he didn't make the call and would not make the call early on. So one of the reasons he said that he didn't want to say who the quarterback was going to be. So he kept Hurts around. For good reason. Yeah, I mean, so, so you know, some people, I remember they were talking about that being a bad thing, but, you know, he stays, and now he, he wins it for him, and now, depending on uh, how Tua is, he might be the guy that leads him to a national championship. So, are you predicting that already? Have you already predicted the great Alabama is going to be in a national championship? Yes, Alabama-Clemson. There you go. All right, you heard it here first on Docs and Jocks. Hey, when we come back, you're going to hear Washington Nationals athletic trainer Dale Gilbert talking all things Washington Nationals, including a little Bryce Harper talk, I almost guarantee you, given he is the hottest free agent in all of baseball right now. Stay tuned here with us on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Myself, Dr. Dan Affairs, we're right back with Dale Gilbert of the Washington Nationals. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Great to have you be part of our show today. My co-host each week is Ferris Potter. Ferris is the sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University out in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. And Ferris, we have online good friend of the Docs and Jocks, Dale Gilbert. He is the head athletic trainer for the Washington Nationals. Dale has been on uh, numerous clubs in the past, including Arizona Diamondbacks, Kansas City Royals, Texas Rangers, and now is in, I believe, his fourth year with the Washington Nationals. Dale, thanks for being on show yeah thanks for having me all right hey so let's just get it out of the way right off the bat i guarantee everywhere you go when you talk about the washington nationals uh you talk about the the bryce harper lottery man everybody's talking about it all over baseball (laughs) you can't turn on major league baseball network without talking about it so uh, tell us what it's like been working with uh, a guy like no really you look at your career you've worked with guys like uh, paul goldschmidt uh, you've worked with uh, Bryce Harper. You've been with the Kansas City Royals when they were doing great things. Texas Rangers have had stud players. What is it like having a guy like Bryce Harper who's uh, you know bigger than the club in a lot of ways when you just talk to average fans? Yeah, he's a good guy. You know, he's just, just one of the guys that you know, fits in well in the clubhouse, you know, goes out and does his thing, works hard, tries to get better every day. You know, just he treats everybody respectfully, and, he's, and uh, you know, everybody knows he's a, he's a great player, and you know, he's he's trying to do his best to, to prove that. So mm-hmm. he's hopefully he gets a good chance to go somewhere and, and prove it. Yeah, absolutely. Ferris? Hey, Dale, you guys on the medical staff, I mean, do you get real caught up in these off-season acquisitions and things? Because the Nationals, I mean, Patrick Corbin's coming over there. They're acquiring some nice arms, Matt Adams. You, how involved are you guys in that decision-making process uh, and looking at those guys as all after the fact? Um, some of it gets... Uh, before it, you know, they want to look at the medicals, make sure the health has been good for a number of years. We'll do physicals before we actually sign them. So in case anything pops up or there's any issues prior to signing, they want to make sure we clear a physical. So we'll do, we'll do our due diligence with, you know, looking at their medical prior to and kind of seeing what they've had in previous years to see if there's any red flags that we want to stay away from. Hey, you know, we see a guy like Matt Adams, big city, give a big compliment to the Washington Nationals organization. He, uh, you know, he came over to the Washington Nationals, and I believe they traded him back to uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, and now he's back with the Washington Nationals. He said that he loved being there as part of the team, said it felt like home, a great place to play baseball. So it's good to see your players enjoying being in a place like the Washington Nationals. Yeah, it's always nice to get guys back. You know, we feel like we, you build a relationship with them, and you trade them, you see them go somewhere, and then they come back. It's always nice to have. You know, familiar faces, I'm sure, for them, too, to have a familiar face in the clubhouse, for us to see them back. We know what their potentials are, and, it's, you know, it's fun to work with those guys. 
Yeah. Hey, you know, you've played uh, multiple different roles on the different clubs you've been with, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Kansas City Royals, Texas Rangers, Washington Nationals. You've been the rehab coordinator, medical coordinator, athletic trainer, head athletic trainer. For a listening audience who maybe doesn't know the whole sports medicine team, explain to our listening audience what those different roles are in the sports medicine team that you've had taken at all these different clubs. So an athletic, I'm hired as an athletic trainer, so a rehab coordinator is just one of the roles. I would oversee the rehab for surgical and non-surgical injuries and kind of, you know, get them back to playing to where they're back to regular full activity. Medical coordinator oversees the rehab, oversees all the minor league coordinators, kind of does all the organization with physicals and doctors and making sure everything runs smoothly from, you know, top to bottom. And then as a, you know, athletic trainer, you're either with an affiliate or with the team now with the Nationals, obviously, and my job is, you know, the prevention and care of athletic injuries and just making sure everybody's you know, healthy, and we see what we can do to prevent and keep them on the field. So a lot right. of different roles, but a lot of the same same type uh, job titles, basically, or same type jobs. Right. Hey, you're listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We're interviewing Dale Gilbert, head athletic trainer for the Washington Nationals Fairs. Hey, Dale, give us an idea. What, what's a typical day like on the road or at home once the season gets going for you? Um, they're pretty similar we're pretty much into a routine you know the only thing that changes is uh you know midday game late day game or evening game but typically you know seven o'clock game we're we're there noon twelve thirty. we have a one o'clock meeting with our medical staff to kind of go over the players and what their needs are where they are and what their abilities are for the day and then typically right after that players will start kind of trickling in we'll get our hands on them and get them get whatever treatment we need to get done on them get them get them moving and then they We'll start going and being active in the weight room and do whatever they need to do to continue with their activity, get prepared. Then we'll go outside and have uh, batting practice and infield practice and then come in and have something to eat and typically kind of sit around, wait till the game for a little while, and guys will come in before the game, get all their pregame activity going to get ready to play the game. So it's a lot of activity from, you know, 1 o'clock till the end of the game. It's pretty much nonstop. It's not just show up at game time and go play it's there's a lot of preparation going into the game and leading into all those activities and afterwards a little bit of a treatment afterwards so it it's a it's a long day and it's pretty much the same on the road as it is at home and then once the game once the game gets started you able to sit back watch enjoy a little bit are you constantly working with guys throughout the, the game um, it, it varies, but yeah, there's usually, you know, a middle late reliever or closer comes in, they'll come in and get their work done and get whatever they need to start doing in the, you know, fifth, sixth inning to know they're going to go out and get ready. And, uh, so it, it's, there's always some constant stuff going on or being there, being in the dugout and watching the game and helping guys out, whatever they need in the dugout or just when they come out of a game or during, during the, you know, for before, between at bats or between infield, if they need something, we're, we're there kind of hands on all the time. I always say, as a as a team physician, I always feel like athletic trainers. You're a little bit like a uh, herding cats because you have you talked about your medical staff. You're, you're an athletic <laughs> trainer. You have a strength conditioning coach you got to deal with. You also have your medical director. I believe uh, Dr. Robin West is with you at the Washington Nationals. You have a nutritionist. You're dealing with the coaches, communicating. Talk about that whole communication, that whole team, that whole medical staff you're dealing with. Yeah, we we yeah, we have a big staff. We have eight uh, eight that travel with us all the time, including a mental skills coach, yeah, uh, medical director. Uh, we have a PT that's at home with us but doesn't travel. We have two strength conditioning coaches, massage therapists, three athletic trainers. So wow. it's it's a big staff, and there's like I said, eight of us that travel, 
and are around each other pretty much all day long every day. And it's just, we all get along really well. We all respect each other's positions. We all have little inputs here and there on what we feel like we can do, you know, help improve, or we always kind of pick pick, pick each other's brains to get ideas. So there's really no, there's no ego in there. We're all there to get these guys healthy and keep them on the field. So I think that's a big plus with us. And then being, being able to communicate that with the coaches of what the needs are and where these players are and, you know, kind of, if there's any red flags on them or what, what we want to stay away from. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of, lot of communication back and forth, but we're all on the same page every day. Absolutely. Chris? Hey, Dale, you know, when you talk about that, some people could think that's kind of boring, monotonous, but that consistency is really, I mean, how important is that in baseball when you're, you're doing 162 going from basically February to hopefully through November? Yeah, it's uh it can it can look on the outside as being very monotonous, but it's it's a routine, and these guys are very routine oriented. You know, the stretch is a certain time, batting practice is a certain time, the bus on the road is a certain time. Like everything is structured routine. The time they eat, the time they sleep, they need that for recovery and, and preparation. So it can look monotonous, but every day kind of changes depending on what the needs are too. Some guy might come in one day for one thing, and the next day comes in for something else. So you're kind of always trying to figure out where they are what their needs are and you know obviously these guys communicate pretty well with how they're feeling so it's it's up to us to kind of interpret that and see what their needs are for the day to get them back out on the field hey uh we're, we're talking to uh, dale gilbert with the uh, washington nationals head athletic trainer dale we interviewed uh, dave Prummer, the uh, longtime uh, athletic trainer head athletic trainer for the uh, minnesota twins and i did, oh, yeah. i finished the interview and uh, my family I came home and said how'd the interview go and my son said how come you didn't ask him about that uh, spray stuff they put so here's a question my family wanted to ask me <laughs> So every 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 fan who watches the game, when you come out on the field and they've been beamed or something, you'll spray that that cold spray on their uh, arm. My family wants to yeah. know what is that? Why do you do it? And uh, just explain that. <laughs> so for my family, um, yeah, they, they they use it not a lot anymore. But we used to use yes. it a ton. Basically, yeah. cold spray just kind of numbs the area. Right, is all it is. Just kind of freezes the area and numbs it up. So at least you're not going to have that throbbing pain for a long while. And hopefully, it kind of disperses after you get plunked. Yeah, I always wonder why they stopped using ethyl chloride, using that freeze spray, because it does feel better. I mean, I mean, we know it doesn't deep tissue make anything cold, but you don't see that as much with athletic training as much as you used to anymore. Why is that? Well, they got away with it because of the uh, the actual type of spray with the aerosol oh. and all the bands that came along with oh, that. There's gotcha. another company that's coming out with another uh, another type of spray that'll probably be you'll see now more and more on the field and in the market. So it's a little different there you go. spray, and the companies have finally realized that, all right, we might need this in a different type of spray form instead of the aerosol. All right. Well, there you go, Caleb Mutton. My son hey, is now answering the question, so there you go, Ferris. Hey, Dale, I don't know if this is the right way to do it, but before Dr. Dan became a doctor back in college, his favorite thing to do after he hurt somebody was to just push on it, just go up to the – where does it hurt and just jam into it with his finger or his That's arm. why is I became that, a sports medicine physician. Is that the right way to assess an injury? <laughs> It, yeah, it doesn't hurt when I do this. Yes. Yeah, don't do yeah that. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it oh, you know, it is true. Day, it's what Dale and I do for a living. When something hurts, what, is, what, what does Dale as the athletic trainer, what do I as a sports medicine physician do? We go to exactly to that spot, push on it, move it, see when it hurts. And patients are always like, why are you doing that? But it is the only yeah. way. A clinical exam, it is oftentimes underestimated how valuable that is to figure out what's going on. Is it not, Dale? Oh, I agree. Yeah, you have to, you have to know. And it, it's like putting a little puzzle together sometimes. Especially when the when they come along with some vague answers of does it hurt here, does it do this, when's it hurt, how's it hurt, yeah. type of pain, all that. You're kind of like you're almost fishing for an answer, and you got to palpate and yeah. figure out where it is and what the what the issue is. 
There you go. Fierce. Hey, Dale, we got about 30 seconds left here. Uh, how you like in Washington? I mean, you were out in Surprise, Arizona with the Royals and Rangers for a long time. It's a, it's a big move. How are you guys liking it up there? Yeah, we like it a lot. It's it's definitely a different uh, different environment, different climate, but uh, we, we enjoy it out here we're in a great neighborhood. My commute to work is really, really easy. So, and D.C. is a great area. I mean, if you've not been to D.C., it's a great area to come visit. Lots of monuments, lots of museums. It's just a fun place to be. Yeah. Hey, we've been interviewing Dale Gilbert, longtime Washington Nationals athletic trainer. And, uh, Dale, just want to say thank you for coming on the show, man. We wish you all the best. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll be injury-free this season with the Washington Nationals, if anything, is if, if that could ever be possible. But, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks, we'll, Dale. We'll be right back with more of your sports medicine update show, Docs and Jocks, after this short commercial break. Hey, Dale, thanks so much, man. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was my son asked me. I got done with the interview last time we had uh, uh, Dave Primer on. He was like, hey, Dr. Me didn't ask about that spray they spray on there. What is that? I'm like, all right, son. <laughs> so, yeah, they use a lot in soccer still. So yeah. you watch uh, European soccer, you'll see it all the time. Yeah, because he wanted to know where it was. Why come they do, didn't use it in high school games? That was his question. How come I, when I get a hit, nobody comes sprays anything on me? I'm like, well, they no. only get, you only get that when you go to the big league, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> thanks so hey, much. Thanks, Dale. All right. That was fun, man. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. This is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine and Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, coming to you from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio deep in the heart of Texas. We're actually inside the Forge training facility, a uh, training facility, small group workouts, uh, with a personal coach at every visit, man. Great to have you be part of not only Docs and Jocks, but love had to be part of the Forge training facility as well. You can check it out, theforgeabilene.com. And Ferris, I thought that was a good lead-in to uh, what we're going to talk about next, which is the benefits of exercising. We talk about uh, how the best exercise, Ferris, is which one? The one that you will do. Yeah, so find out what it is you enjoy doing because, man, this this, this next it, couple of studies are going to talk about how little we as Americans are doing right now and not only that, but the benefits of exercise. So a Harvard study came out, uh, look, looked at aerobic exercise, and what they were talking about is about three times a week, about 30 minutes, something to get your heart rate up, something to get you sweaty. And they found, Ferris, that the part of your brain that is involved in memory and the part of your brain that is involved in new learning actually increases in size and its ability to do so because of aerobic exercise. So if you want to lower your brain age and increase the size of your hippocampus, that's your medical word of the week, hippocampus. It's part of your brain that increases your, that holds, does your memory and your learning processes. You can do so by doing aerobic exercise. So we know that it lowers your chance of diabetes. It lowers your chance, it lowers your obesity rate. It decreases your rate of heart attacks. It decreases your rate of strokes. To so all the benefits that we know those, those types of things aerobic exercise does, it also lowers your brain age. So if you ever have gotten to a routine exercise program where you do aerobic training, now we're talking about exercise to get your heart rate up. You know, that's brisk walking, running, get you kind of sweaty, get you out of breath. Those types of exercises increase your memory and your learning. So, but I definitely think people who do that, and I'm and uh, I group myself into that one because I work out the four javelin. Ferris does P90X. Go to his uh, man. You you should be like uh, Tony Horton. He's, <laughs> he owes you something because you were like Mr. P90X on Instagram and social media. I had a dream about Tony Horton the other night. That's when you know, I met him. That's when you know you got to go to that's another weird, form of exercise. Man. Yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, we got to get that dude on the now. show, man. But because uh, he, I've done that as well, and Ferris has. But we both do aerobic training, and I feel Ferris. And you give me your opinion on this. I just this is just personal. This isn't a medical study, but this this Harvard study showed that does it increase your mental cogn- your your cognition, your mental sharpness. I feel like when I do exercise routinely, I have that mental sharpness. When I don't, 
I feel I get sluggish, and my mental sharpness decreases. That's just personally. How about you, Ferris? How do you feel? Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 it's interesting. I feel like you know, I've been, I've been kind of getting into a groove of doing it in the morning, and I'm trying to like. Um, not make any decisions in the day until after I work out. Cause I feel like it just totally clears my mind. Like yes. when I get up and do it first thing in the morning, I get up and I'm kind of foggy and I'm like, Oh, I start thinking about what I got to do all day. And I'm just like kind of overwhelmed. But when you put the disc in for me and you do that, or you show up at the class and you do the class, whether it's hot yoga or whatever it is, you go and you'd get it done. You go up for a run. Then I, as I'm doing it, I'm like, Oh, okay. I got this coming up. I can do this. I can do this. This is how I do this. this I can kind of plan my day out. But if I don't do the workout first, it just feels like kind of I don't know I'm getting started kind of going oh what do I do now what do I what do I do so yeah I think it's very clear clears your mind and helps you focus yeah I'm totally totally with you and now we have scientific proof with the Harvard studies showing exactly that hey the other thing is that the study came out this week in the Journal of American Preventative Care and they looked at forty thousand adult Americans so forty thousand. Uh, uh, adults from the United States, and they found that only 30.2%, so only 3 out of 10 Americans, adults, actually do some type of resistance training. So instead of aerobic activity, which is getting your heart rate up, heavy brisk walking, sweating activity, this is something that's giving you resistance. So we would talk like that would be band work, body strength, body weight pushing, push-ups, sit-ups, something that makes you a little sore the next day. Now you're doing muscles you know, resistance. So resistance training, only 30.2% of Americans did that. And it was, and, it's, and this is looking at only two times a week. So the minimum amount that's recommended is two times a week. Are, is, are Americans doing that routinely? And they, the vast majority of us now, 70% of us as adults in America, we're not doing any type of resistance training. Remember this also resistance training in and of itself decreases heart, heart attack risk, decrease risk for cerebrovascular accidents, diabetes, obesity, even some cancers. And the other thing, if you look at most things that as we age, what we're looking at is some type of activity that improves our quality of life too as well, right? So we know mm-hmm. that aerobic exercise as, as well as resistance training increases our longevity or our quantity of life. But also we want to do things that improve our quality of life. So things like, do you want to have better balance? Do you want to be able and go out and suddenly play a sports game with your kids and have not only the you know, the conditioning to do it, but also have the strength to do it where you're not so sore the next day that it's so miserable you can't even fathom doing that activity because it would be so sore the next day. That's what right. resistance training does. It improves your overall quality of life, allows you to be active, allows you to do the things you need to do. So some type of mixture where you're doing that a couple times a week along with um, some type of aerobic activity about three times a week. So we're only talking like if you did five days a week, if it's seven days, you did three aerobic, two resistance training that would be perfect for increasing not only all the things we talked about that improve your uh, quantity of life, but also the things that increase your mental sharpness, your mood. It's been shown that depression improves, your cognition, your feeling of overall uh, well-being improves with exercise, and it would help you with the things you enjoy doing in life, your quality of life issues, going out and doing an activity suddenly that maybe you get thrown in your, you go to your family reunion and they want you to suddenly go out and play softball or something. Well, that needs to be resistance training that allows you to do those types of things. So, man, only 30% uh, percent of Americans do that. Does that surprise you, Ferris, hearing that number? It actually surprises me. It seems a little high uh, <laughs> to me. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who go in and out of, like, aerobic exercise because, you know, we kind of all grew up in that era of go out and run or hit the Stairmaster for an hour or ride the bike, you know, stationary bike yeah. or whatever, go for a walk. Um, 
you know, when we grew up, the, the only people who really lifted were like athletes, you know, uh, uh -huh. training. And even then, athletes didn't lift a lot, depending on the sport. It was just football players kind of when we were growing up, you know. Um, and then baseball started doing it. But I'm a little surprised, but I guess, you know, maybe, maybe not. I mean, you know, with, with gyms like The Forge, with CrossFits, with those times coming around, you're throwing weights around there. So um, um, it, it's a little surprising that it's that high, honestly. But, you know, we talked about it. I mean, my goodness, it's just such a such an important part of keeping the strength up. So as mm -hmm. you age, you can still, like you said, do those things and you can prevent injury. Simple things like I was I was picking my daughter up from a movie this morning, uh, last day of school to have a movie. And an older lady was in front of us and she decided to not go to the edge of the of the walk. She decided to walk over some rocks to get to her car. Mm hmm. And mm -hmm. two steps in, I'm like, ma'am, do you need help? He's like, no, I think I've got it. But it was the wobbliest thing. And I'm thinking yes. she's going to fall down and take a header and break yeah. something. Yeah. Fortunately, she didn't. But just simple things like that as you age get harder to do. But if you're strong, you can do that type, type of stuff. Oh, yeah. I remember one of your biggest organ systems in your body, if not the largest, is your muscle, your muscular, musculoskeletal system. So when your muscles are using that oxygen, using that blood supply, it is a healthy thing for every other organ system. I'm just telling you, immobility is one of the worst things you can possibly do as you age. So I'm going to throw out another big medical term in this segment. So this we got hippocampus, first of all, and the next one is sarcopenia. Sarcopenia is the amount of muscle mass and strength you lose as you age. And you usually about 1% every year after you turn the age of 40, you're, you're starting to lose muscle mass for your rest of your life. That's just because of age, right? That does not mean you can't still gain muscle mass as you age. And you can do that by doing resistance training. So if you're naturally going to, because the aging system, lose about 1%, well, you and I doing strength training two to three times a week or more helps increase the amount of muscle uh, strength we have so that we can make up not only for that 1% loss, which you're going to have over time, but it'll also help you improve it over time. So when we're walking over rocks when we're age 60, 70, 80 years old, you have to have strength, uh, your core stability. You have to have strength not only in your pelvis, but your legs, your core. Because if you don't, you've got a weak foundation, a wobbly foundation. Remember, all you are is a box with four little pendulums hanging off of it. If that box or your core is wobbly, it's a weak foundation that everything else is working off of. So you have to have a good, strong, stable foundation. The only way to truly do that is do some type of resistance training as we age at any stage of our life. It's good for the young athlete because it makes him a better athlete. It's good for the middle-aged man like me and you because we can still do the things we enjoy doing in life, whether that's going out and running Spartan races, doing P90X, enjoying our, our weekends with our families because we can go out and do things we like to do without being absolutely miserable. And it's especially, especially important in the elderly. I take care of a lot of elderly patients in my practice at Texas Sport and Spine. And the vast majority of them are completely, completely core unstable. And it's like trying to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's working in an uphill battle to get those patients not hurting when they are so unstable. They can't do simple activities in life, such as what you just mentioned, walking over an unstable surface. Man, if you can't do that, if you can't control your body weight on a very unstable surface or an unstable surface, whoo, just think about trying to walk a set of stairs, going to your grandkids' uh, ball games or whatever. It's going to be very, very difficult to do the simple activities of life. Yeah, and I think as you as you think about it now, I mean, obviously the younger the better. But even you know, a lot of times we get busy with life in our twenties or whatever, and you you still you can still eat whatever and not really work out and still be fairly decent shape, right? Then you hit like thirty, thirty one, thirty two, and then all of a sudden it starts things start aching a little bit, and you can't go out and play flag football all day Saturday and be fine on Sunday. Yeah. Even if you start then, if you start working out, I mean, my thing is we're living a lot longer. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, medicine is helping us live longer. But gosh, if you're gonna live 
longer in the last 12 years you don't want to be miserable do much you don't want to be miserable yeah you do not want to be able to go out and go on a cruise and take a walk and go see rome or just walk around your neighborhood or play with the grandkids or whatever you know yeah you don't want to be fearful of falling all the time when you're walking down one step to get into a you know a depressed living room or something you want to be able to do the things in life without the fear of constantly going to injure yourself because of simple activities that require a little amount of strength so man if you have an elderly uh you know, parent or grandparent, and you think that they are, are not doing any exercise at all, the best thing you can do is if they're, once again, speak to their physician, but if they are healthy enough, get them to do some type of resistance training, a few days a week of doing some type of aerobic training, and don't forget, maybe, maybe throw in a day or two of some type of flexibility where you're doing some stretching and getting those ligaments and those tendons and those body, those uh, those those receptors and those and those tendons firing off and giving their brain some feedback. We now know that aerobic activity not only does all the great things that improves your quality of life, but increases your memory and your learning cognition and your ability to uh, be sharp mentally. You want to keep that for the rest of your life, right? Who wants to be 78 years old and not be able to be able to think clearly and sharply and, and have, a, have a good conversation all because of lack of exercise? And that's a piece of it. I'm not saying it's all of it. It's a piece of it. So, yeah, I, I totally 100% agree, Ferris, man. But if you can get some people out there, and, and they may have elements like, uh, you know, uh, Ferris and I have talked about it on the show before, so uh, she's kind enough to let us talk about it. But talk about your mom who has, like, you know, an arthritic condition that doesn't let her do a lot of exercise, but she's doing some exercise that she can do. Talk about that uh, program that she's doing that helps her. Yeah, you know, and, and my mom, she she's very active, uh, and she wants to – she really does the exercise so she can remain active because she loves to go on cruises, you know. Um, so she does a thing called Super Slow which is, you know, just slow resistance training uh, with a coach right there with you. Uh, and you work on Nautilus machines because she's at the age now where she the, the worst thing that could happen is she could be lifting weights and hurt herself. Yeah. So she wants to lift weights in a way that doesn't injure her. Yeah. Um, so she does it on Nautilus machines, but her, her strength increase is great. And it allows her then it's about 12, 15 minutes, uh, you know, a day it allows her to go out and go on cruises, go on walks, play with the grandkids, all that good stuff. So you may have a ailment that doesn't allow you to do certain activities, but you could always modify it like what Ferris just said with his mom. To where there's something you can do and the one that you will do is really really key so just remember that man there are a couple of great studies out this week there are always great studies showing out the benefits of exercise we'll be right back with more docs and jocks after this mental strength minute with miss tracy munton many athletes want success but sometimes are afraid or reluctant to do what it takes to be successful they see other athletes achieve glory and want the easy road to achieve the same thing but success usually doesn't come easy at all for most Athletes have to be willing to sacrifice and work hard to reach their goals. They also have to be willing to accept failure along the way. Mental performance coach Justin Sua has stated, Progress doesn't occur if you're not willing to leave your comfort zone. No struggle, no growth. Athletes absolutely have to be willing to do the uncomfortable to grow. To get better, one must embrace things differently and try new things. This is the only way to grow as an athlete and as a person. Here at The Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with athletes to help them learn to accept being uncomfortable so that they may achieve great growth. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about this, you can contact us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks here in our last segment of our SB Nation Hour. Hey, if you're just catching our first hour and you want to hear our second hour, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com or our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and join us for our second hour of your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Remember, you can always follow us on social media by going to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and typing in at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, thanks for making us one of the fastest-growing podcasts out there on iTunes as well. Man, we love our great fans. Ferris, I thought in our last minute or so here we would talk about 
Frank Gore, 35-year-old running back Frank Gore for Miami Dolphins. Uh, he is uh, the most active, uh, the most rushing yards for any active running back in in the NFL right now. He's a five-time Pro Bowler. He just injured his foot. He's going to be out for the rest of the season, but he's already let everybody know that he wants to come back next year. The former University of Miami standout uh, has now uh, rushed for 14,748 yards in his career. That puts him number four all time behind Emmett, Walter Payton, and Barry Sanders. So uh, Frank Gore, my question for you, Ferris, coming back as a 36-year-old next year, is he a Hall of Famer fourth all-time? I guess he's a shoe-in. I wouldn't even, I didn't even know that until I read this article about his injury. Yeah, I mean, it's that great debate, right? Would you rather have like a, a Barry Sanders who's the best ever for like four or five years, or would you rather have a guy who just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going? I mean, yeah. I think his numbers are going to be Hall of Fame worthy, but if you do the, the litmus test of when you say his name, do you think Hall of Famer? No, <laughs> no. you don't. <laughs> but good for him, man, the old yeah. guy. He, I bet he's done some resistance training in his day. Oh, absolutely. He said kept going, going, going. I want to hear that bonk, bonk, bonk like the Ever-Ready Bunny, man, because yeah. that's definitely uh, Frank Gore. That's awesome. Yeah, and there's other guys in baseball that do it. We just saw Harold Baines get in the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame because of uh, yeah. his longevity. So there is something to be said for the guy that's able to. Nick Markakis is yeah. on the bo- bubble for yeah. consistency and longevity. Yeah. Absolutely. So Greg, congratulations Frank Gore, man. Good for him, and I hope he comes back when he's 36 years old and uh, runs for another 500 yards and he'll pass the great Barry Sanders. Hey, what we want to do is say thank you to all our wonderful fans. Hey, if you're just catching our first hour, want to catch our second hour, flip over to Docs and Jocks on your iTunes podcast and catch our second hour, or if you're listening to our, one of our local stations, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, uh, your sports medicine radio show with Dr. Dan and Ferris. We'll see y'all. Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport Inspired. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, joined by my co-host Ferris Potter every week here, bringing you your sports medicine update show. My do- my job, uh, day job is at Texas Sport and Spine. If you ever want to find out if uh, you want to be seen or maybe for a hip, a knee, a back, a shoulder problem, anything would happen on a sports field or maybe a back injury, you can call, uh, go to Texas Sport and Spine here in Abilene, Texas, and we'd love to have you be part of our clinic that way. Uh, hey, in our second hour of our show, we're going to have on Ferris Dustin McComas. Dustin is a... Um, Beat writer for orangebloods.com. So, man, if you're a University of Texas fan, uh, anything Texas Longhorns will be talking about the uh, Sugar Bowl coming up as well as uh, what we're going to be seeing with the Texas baseball team this year as well as uh, their quick start initially beating University of North Carolina, number seven ranked North Carolina in basketball. Don't want to miss that interview coming up with Dustin McComas. So, yeah, we uh, I thought we could talk about Ferris here. We just got in our, in our first segment here just a couple minutes. I thought we could talk about some of the uh, crazy stories in the sports medicine world right now. 17-year-old Formula 3 driver Sophia Florsch survives, get this, Ferris, a 170-mile-an-hour crash. She, uh, If you want to go on and watch it on uh, social media, it's unbelievable that she – when you see a car wreck at 170 miles an hour – it is something to behold. As she fractures her spine in November, she has now survived the crash. She did not have a spinal cord injury, just successful uh, cervical spine surgery after uh, stabilizing her spine. So, first of all, I can't imagine surviving a 100-mile-an-hour crash, a 170-mile-an-hour crash where she flew above the grandstand into a building and survived it and walked away from it. These cars have come a long way, Ferris, as far as safety goes for sure, haven't they? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they... That, yeah, that's when you say it, it's like hard to even fathom that. I know. Yeah, it was on but a turn. Kudos too. to the car makers. Kudos to the folks who put that thing together. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm imagining she's like, as soon as I can, I want to race again, because that's the mindset of these folks, right? Yeah, and she's 17. <laughs> first of all, I, was, I still remember the first time I drove with my 16-year-old daughter on a, a country road, and it uh, scared me to death. I no bueno? Yeah, a 17-year-old. She wasn't going 170, was no, she? No, no. It felt like it going around a couple of the turns that she wasn't making. It felt like we were going about 170. Hit the break! Hit the yeah, break! I remember, I remember taking the wheel and turning it as we were going around a turn, and she wasn't going to make it. So Slow can, down! I can't even imagine doing that in a 170-mile-an-hour car, or the, the parent of a 17-year-old girl oh. watching their car go flying 170 miles an hour but great Whoa. news for us Sophia Flores glad she's back hey we're glad you're back with us here on Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks your sports medicine radio show Dr. Dan and Ferris here in just a moment and jocks brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it's awesome to have you. Remember, you can catch our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, anytime, anywhere at your convenience. Get the entire two-hour show. Man, we're great. Uh, so glad you're making that podcast one of the fastest-growing podcasts out there, man. Appreciate all our fans here on our Sports Medicine Update show. Ferris, I thought we'd jump into the big story in the injury news. Uh, just like last year, in the 13th week of the season, the Philadelphia Eagles lose Carson Wentz, uh, this time to a stress fracture in his back. If you missed uh, last week's show, I kind of went over what stress fractures and fractures in the back, the different types of fractures that don't require surgical intervention, what those might be. And so uh, Nick Foles has come in, and, man, he did, a, did his thing again last week, Ferris. Uh, the uh, St. Louis Rams came in, or the Los Angeles Rams. I'm never going to get – I can't keep anybody. <laughs> I call San Diego Chargers. I got the St. Louis Rams. So the Los Angeles Rams now, uh, who look invincible – uh, go down to the Philadelphia Eagles with Nick Foles, their backup quarterback, who, who, by the way, just happened to lead them to a Super Bowl after coming in Week 13 last year. Now it looks like the Eagles, who are down and out, have a chance to uh, be competing for the wild card spot. And so Chris Long, defensive end for the Philadelphia Eagles, took it upon himself to build a shrine to Nick Foles in his locker, which includes his <laughs> book, uh, Hard to Believe, or something like that, uh, and then he also has a picture of him in his Rams jersey when he's with the Rams. And then he also has some religious candles that he lights. And he has a very specific order on how they have to be lit. And uh, he's brought Nick Foles to see it. And he understands, hey, Nick Foles is doing something right for the Philadelphia Eagles. Not only last year led him to a Super Bowl, but again this year. Tell me about the metrics of football fairs and why wins aren't held in more esteem. Because all Nick Foles does when he comes in is win. No, it's it's funny, man. It, it's almost like winning uh, and scoring points has become like the last thing you worry about. You worry about passer efficiency. Oh, can he make the out throw? He can. Oh, Carson Wentz can do all this stuff better than Nick Foles. But all Nick Foles does is is win ball games. Like he comes in and won the Super Bowl. He beat the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. You know, head to head in a Super Bowl that he shouldn't have won, and he did it without being as strong of a runner as Nick as Carson Wentz, without having a strong of arm as Carson Wentz without all these things, and he did the same thing against the Rams, the best team in football. He came in and beat them. Yep, he did, and he has a, he has a big one this week. He has another hurdle. He had to beat the Rams to uh, allow the Philadelphia Eagles to have hope, and so now they got to go in and uh, beat the Houston Texans 10-4, and kind of a somewhat of a surprise season for the Houston Texans in my opinion, but they uh, one of those teams that are hot right now. This has been a very, very strange NFL season given – Every time you think you've got a team figured out, the Dallas Cowboys is one we can take. Uh, you think, uh, oh, they're they're out. Oh no, oh. they're hot. 
then they're getting beat by the Colts, just drummed by the Colts. So you never know. This year's been a very strange. The Rams have been up and down. The Saints have been up and down. Patriots are up and down. The Cowboys up and down. And now we see the Eagles. And I really believe in something that is important is hitting your hot streak at the right time, and that's always the end of the season. And it looks like Nick Foles has them set. If they can get by the Houston Texans, has them set for another big run. Yeah, this will be a good test for the Texans because they've been on that roll and they haven't really played a lot of great teams in that that amount of time. But I think you're right, Dr. Dan. I mean, you know, after week four or five, we were just basically saying, all right, Chiefs and the Rams. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, it's going to be the Rams and the, and, and the uh, you know, Tom Brady and the Patriots. Oh, wait a minute. It's going to be the Rams and – Oh, wait a minute. Not the Rams. It's going to be the, the you know, New Orleans is going to do that. Oh, wait a minute. They just got beat. Oh, maybe. I mean, I don't yeah. know who you pick. Honestly, I thought the Cowboys, I was like, wow, they might come out and surprise them in Seattle. And then they both stumbled and got beat. Not only like, got beat, got drunk, man. It wasn't even close. So the Colts drilled it, man. Andrew Luck and the Colts just absolutely gave them a beatdown. Hey, and now it comes out that Carson Wentz, remember last year he had a uh, multi-ligamentous injury to the knee. He, uh, this year it's found out that he has a stress fracture in his back. They went back and looked, and this has been reported now that in the NFL, it was found that he had an unrelated stress fracture on his NFL Combine report his freshman Mm. year in college. Remember, Carson Wentz went number two overall, so it didn't drop his stock when they found that. But if you're going to talk about a young college player who has a possible stress fracture, the most common stress fracture in the back is an area called your pars interarticularis. Once, hey, I'm eating a lot of big words today, Ferris. This has been like yeah, this is the third one: hippocampus, sarcopenia, and uh, pars interarticularis. I'm on a roll, baby. One. You had uh, syndosmosis. <laughs> syndosmosis. That's right. Yeah. Man, you're really good. So pars interarticularis is an area where you have your growth plate. So when you're young and growing, remember, guys can continue growing into college. We've all had that friend that grew in their college years up, you know, four inches or something. In fact, we interviewed uh, one of those guys that grew to be six nine. He went 5'11 to 6'9 in college and was a uh, throwing the ball over 90 miles an hour left-handed uh, pitcher. But anyway, you can still grow, and so you have growth plates. That's where you grow from. The growth plates are the small areas of bone that are still laying down new bone, so you're growing. And that area in your back is called your pars interarticularis, and it can sometimes get a stress reaction in a, in a young college player from all the repetitive uh, extension and rotation. And uh, so Carson Wentz, most likely, that's what he had. But it didn't seem like it really hurt him overall. But, man, if I'm uh, Doug Peterson has come out again this week and says that even though he's um, likely not to play this week, he, they're not going to place him on injury reserve. And as soon as uh, Carson Wentz is healthy, he is our quarterback. So Nick Foles, if he wins against the Texans, let me ask this question to you. So he beats, he, he beat, goes out and beats the Rams. If they beat the Houston Texans, they're on a roll. They're on pace to make the playoffs after seem like, seemingly like they were out of it. Do you really think Doug Peterson is going to put Carson Wentz back in the starting role over Nick Foles after doing so? I think you have a con- at least a minimum quarterback controversy at that time. Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to, hard to do that because you hate to take the, the hot hand out, the team that's winning, yes. and you know, you know the guys are behind him. Um, Dak Prescott you know, did you, it for the if, Cowboys. If you feel like Carson Wentz is your guy moving forward and you're, you're set on that and you don't want him to feel like you're not with him, I mean, the the thing you're saying is you're making that statement to the public and then you're going to the doctor saying, do not clear him if we beat Houston. <laughs> like, he is not going to be cleared, please. Yeah, yeah. So you can go out there and say, oh, I would love to start him, but unfortunately he's not cleared. Yeah, you, you know, we can think of some pretty big examples of that happening. We can think of uh, Dak Prescott. Remember, Tony Romo went down. 
uh, with a compression fracture. Kind of a similar story. Remember Tony Romo, starting quarterback for the uh, Dallas Cowboys, had made the playoff the year before. He get a comp- gets a compression fracture of a bone in his thoracic spine. Remember your bones in your mm-hmm. back are like building blocks, like wooden building blocks, and they're stacked on top of each other in an S-shaped pattern. And uh, you get bent forward and you crush one of those bones, usually one of the uh, what we call in plates, the top or the bottom of the building block. And when you do so, then every time you put weight on it, it's extremely painful. So um, we see Tony Romo misses, yeah, after getting off to a hot start, misses most of the season. Dak Prescott goes on this just amazing winning streak with the Dallas Cowboys when Tony Romo is then ready to come back. A playoff quarterback, a Pro Bowl quarterback, the guy that uh, has the, one of the highest passer ratings in Dallas Cowboy history, if not, I think it's the highest actually, he now is riding the bench. Dak Prescott then takes him into the playoffs. Tony Romo then decides to retire. So it's a very similar situation when you've got a star quarterback who gets knocked out, and then boom, this young kid comes in, and you see it, see them uh, do their thing, except Nick Foles and Carson Wentz have the young kid and veteran thing in reverse of what the Cowboys did. But can you think of any other instance? I guess uh, Joe Montana, Steve Young would be another one, Ferris. I guess Joe Montana goes out for a while, Steve Young comes in, and you never, the 49ers never really give Joe Montana yeah. another chance. I mean, uh, you know, I think twice, like Bledsoe got yep. injured and then Brady came back and Bledsoe was able to. Bledsoe actually came back and relieved Brady in one of those playoff games and got the win for him down the stretch. And they went back to Brady again. Um, and I think Bledsoe lost his job to uh, Romo, right? Yes, he did. Um, yeah. As well from an injury. So he's done it twice. But yeah, I mean, here's the thing about Nick Foles. He's the best guy to have, right? Because he's the veteran. So you still can go back to, hey, Carson's our guy going forward. And Nick Foles is such a solid guy. I mean, he he could have gone a lot of places, taken a lot of money, and he chose to go back to Philly and be a backup because he wanted to stay there. His family liked it there, and he wanted to be a part of that team. Yeah, so there's a lot of pieces to go into uh, figuring out who the guy's going to be. But I would say if he beats the Houston Texans this next week, if he beats the Rams, beats the Texans, he has a history of taking the Philadelphia Eagles to the Super Bowl the year before. I think it gets very, very difficult to bring Carson Wentz back and, and make him your starting quarterback. I think you got to say, well, we have definitely have the team to do it. You haven't changed that many pieces of the puzzle from last year when they won the Super Bowl. I don't know. I just think you stick with a hot hand. I mean, it, the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott, and you know some people yeah. say they shouldn't have, but I, I, I don't know. I just Definitely the 49ers did it. They let Joe Montana go. If you're going to let great Joe Montana go, man, he's, yeah. Carson Wentz is it better than Joe Montana. Well, I mean, Favre, you know, they, 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 he had a couple more years left. They yeah. let him go for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, right. at, at some point you do. And, you know, like I said, Nick Foles isn't one of those guys. He's not a Hall of Famer or anything. But yeah. um, Nick Foles, if you ask him, he'd probably say, yeah, as soon as he's ready, he should be the quarterback because he's that type of guy. Yep, you're right. Hey, when we come back, we'll be talking to University of Texas, everything uh, University of Texas with orangebloods.com writer Dustin McComas. Stay here with us on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, so great to have you join us today. Remember, you can follow us anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. If we're not in your regular listening area and you want to catch us uh, another way, my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, and Ferris, we are glad to have online and very honored to have online all things University of Texas and writer for OrangeBloods.com, good friend of Docs and Jocks, Dustin McComas. Dustin, thanks for being on the show today. 
Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, hey, man, big game coming up with uh, University of Texas going up against number 5 Georgia. Big game, uh, All-State Sugar Bowl. Tell us uh, what the expectations are for University of Texas and the Longhorns going up against the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stage Texas is wanting to be back back on for some time. It, it feels like it's been a long time since they've played this caliber of a bowl game, probably because it has. So their expectation is they want to compete in these types of games every single season, and they've definitely made a lot of progress this year in Tom Herman's second year uh, in charge at Texas. And they think that they're capable of playing with anybody. And if you look at their schedule this year, um, you know, obviously the, the season opening loss to Maryland subtract that, and they basically played right with everybody on their schedule, including Oklahoma, in two games this year. So they're going to go in this game thinking that they're capable of playing right with Georgia and capable of winning the game. But I know that uh, people in Austin are very excited to see that this program is, is back on that stage. Um, and it signals a real step in the right direction for the program under Tom Herman. Absolutely. Ferris? Yeah, Dustin, so uh, this success, um, how, how has the recruiting been with uh, Herman down there? I know that that had fallen off a bit, and Texas wasn't maybe the first choice of some kids, uh, even local kids. How's the recruiting going with Herman? Yeah, I'd say it's it's going well. I, I wouldn't say it's going like, oh, my gosh, they're getting everybody they want type of deal, but they've, they've, they've definitely recruited at a, at a high level, and they just signed a, uh, a bunch of guys for the 2019 class um, you know, pretty much all of their commitments signed besides one, Giovanni Shepard, an offensive lineman. So they got all their guys in for the most part. Um, it's, it's a good class. It's stronger, I think, at defensive back, linebacker, and receiver uh, than anywhere else. Another good quarterback is in the class. So they're definitely making their presence felt in Texas. It was interesting in that Texas went outside of Texas a lot this year to get some big, uh, big commitments from out-of-state prospects. And that's something that Texas hasn't really – done before and it's something that a lot of texas fans when mac brown was at his peak wanted texas to do more is to use that national brand and go out and, and go get a big time player when maybe you're not able to get that that quality of a player at that position in texas so uh it, it's going well recruiting wise i think that they they if you ask them behind closed doors hey you know what do you think of recruiting they'd probably say it could go a little bit better in terms of of turning a you know, top 10-ish class into a top five type of class, but it's, it's definitely not a negative right now. University of Texas fans have to be uh, pretty excited about going to New Orleans, a city that knows how to throw a party for a bowl game. Man, man what a great t- great city to have it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's a good New Year's Day destination, New Year's <laughs> Eve destination. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't think any Texas fans are very upset about you know, having to go to New Orleans. It's, uh, it, it's a quick flight, and it's not a terrible drive, although I've heard the drive back uh, might be uh, filled with some headaches. Hey, we see the University of Texas win uh, a couple big basketball games this year. First of all, beating uh, number 7 North Carolina. And then, uh, as you and I were talking about off-air, they played uh, universe, or Grand Canyon University, where Ferris is the uh, sports broadcaster. And uh, you said they played the best game of the year against uh, his Antelope's 98-60 win. Tell us about uh, the uh, University of Texas basketball team and what you feel early on the season so far. Yeah, it's kind of been a bit of a roller coaster. You mentioned North Carolina game, and that obviously put them on the map. And then they basically outplayed Michigan State for for pretty much the majority of that game the, the following day, but ended up losing um, down the stretch as Michigan State came back. But then they've also had two home losses to Radford and VCU, where you're kind of scratching your head, what's going on? Uh, really, it comes down to them offensively, just how they move the basketball. If that basketball is moving around side to side and, and from the top to the 
to the paint and guys are getting into the paint where the, whether it's dribble drive or whatever they, they could play with anybody in the country um but if they get into these situations like they're doing it's radford and vcu where everything's really stagnant on offense there's not a lot of ball movement there's not a lot of player movement they're just kind of settling for deep jumpers they're capable of losing to anybody in the big 12 because the big 12 is going to be a terrific basketball conference again so uh i i think that people around the program really believe this could be a really good basketball team uh but they've just got to they've got to become more consistent on the offensive end and they've got a big game tonight at home against providence which will be another really good test for them especially uh in terms of what they can do offensively against a good providence defense so if they get through that following the grand canyon performance i i think the texas fans can start to feel a little bit better about the direction of the program as as big 12 play approaches Hey, Dustin, so Shaka Smart in his, in his fourth season, I mean, he's been about average. I mean, a little bit above average, but, um, you know, nothing crazy spectacular. What are fans beginning to say, and, and how does Texas view that? Is it like, oh, no, it's good, we're trending, we're fine, or is it like other places where four years, five years, you better start showing us something or we might we might find somebody else? Yeah, I think it's definitely the latter, and, and I don't think that Shaka Smart's on, on any hot seat right now. Um, but there are there are some vocal there is a vocal portion of the Texas fan base whether it's online or, or whatever uh, that's that's frustrated with the lack of progress right now. You mentioned it's year four, and in a lot of ways it kind of feels like year one and year two in terms of them establishing their culture and getting a good roster in there that has a blend of experience and some talented young players. Uh, so in some ways it feels like this thing is just getting off the ground and it's year four. Now, they've had some really unfortunate situations. Of course, Andrew Jones being diagnosed with leukemia last year. He was their best offensive player, a five-star McDonald's All-American. Uh, they've had some injuries and bad situations, including you know late in the season last year. So it hasn't exactly been easy. And, and playing in the Big 12, those things can be magnified. But I, this is a big year for Shaka Smart. Uh, this is a year where they've got to show that there's the program definitely going in the right direction uh, because I think there is a, definitely a portion of the Texas fan base right now uh, that is frustrated and thought that they would see a lot more by now. Hey, Dustin, when we were down there, they were talking about a, uh, a new arena, and that, that just got released. Boy, $340 million, <laughs> but it'll be on Texas land, but – uh, private investors, no money from no public money, no money from the university. That's that's a that's a great deal for for Texas. Yeah, I was I was at the press conference yesterday, and, and you know the University of Texas president Gregory Finvez was asked kind of in more detail, like how do you pull off an arena that you know you, you taxpayers don't have to pay for and boosters don't have to pay for, and he just smiled and said we got a great deal. So <laughs> I mean, I'm not a business guy. I don't know exactly how they pulled that off, but. You know, that's, that's been the vision uh, of Finvest for a while, is to is somehow build a multi-use arena on campus that benefits both the university in terms of its, if it's, of its athletics, specifically basketball, and then the university events like graduation and so on, but also something that the city of Austin has a lot of interest in because Austin has become a big destination for, for a lot of concerts and things like that that come through. And they wanted to make sure that they had an arena capable of still hosting those events, still making the city a destination for those things. So I'm not exactly sure how they did it, but they came to an agreement. The agreement was approved, and they're going to start construction on that in that area. And they hope that the thing is done uh, by 2021. So really, in terms of building the arena, not that far away off in the distance. 
Hey, switching gears a little bit, talking about uh, baseball, we're talking to Dustin McComas here with OrangeBloods.com on uh, Docs and Jocks. And Dustin, uh, the baseball team, uh, David Pierce, the head coach there, has been uh, kind of the uh, opposite of baseball. Man, he came in, he's won the Baseball America's National Coach of the Year. I believe he was the Big 12 Coach of the Year. Uh, led him back to the College World Series. Talk to us about what you see in the uh, upcoming 2019 baseball season with the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, Pierce and his staff have really done a terrific job since they've arrived of maximizing maximizing their rosters. And they've really done a great job of developing players and developing a team. And frankly, they, they really overachieved, I think, last year in getting that roster to Omaha uh, because they haven't had a lot of time to, to recruit quality classes. And that was something that Texas was struggling with in the, in the final years of their Augie is that they, just, they weren't the big dog in the state of Texas in terms of recruiting. Well, that's changed. So they're about to get another recruiting class on campus, a really, really good one. Uh, I think a lot of their pitching is going to be young. So with that is going to come some ups and downs, especially early on uh, in the schedule, a non-conference schedule that's really tough, including a series against LSU and a series against Stanford. Wow. Uh, but I think this is going to be a team that competes for a Big 12 regular season title again. And the Big 12 will be a better conference this year than it was last year. I think it's, it doesn't have that one slam-dunk elite team, but it's got a lot of teams in that tier with Texas, like Texas, TCU, Baylor, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, programs like that, Texas Tech, obviously, that are capable of winning the league. So they think that they're going to compete again for a conference championship, and if you do that, you're probably hosting a regional uh, come postseason time. Hey, Dustin, uh, does it feel like uh, Texas sports in general, like overview of Texas athletics is – is in a good spot on the rise? How would you look at it all-encompassing? Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, I, I went back a couple weeks ago and wrote a story of just the, the, the best individual player performances from 2018. As I was doing it, I was like, man, this is the most success that they've had across the big three sports um, probably since 2009. And it's been a long time since they've had – genuine momentum in two of those three sports and basketball has a chance too if it, if it has the season they think they're capable of having it has a chance to have some momentum heading towards the towards the future as well so yeah it definitely feels like things are trending up right now and there, there's not a feeling of uncertainty surrounding the football program there's definitely not a feeling of uncertainty surrounding the baseball program and i think people are, are, are hoping the basketball program joins that stage as well uh, but definitely, it's been a long time since you could say the overall health of the athletic department uh, is in a place that it is right now. Hey, Dustin, our last 30 seconds here. Uh, give us your, remember, our show is uh, heard uh, throughout all of Texas. Give us your uh, take on what the score is going to be of the Texas-Georgia Sugar Bowl. Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> Texas has been great as an underdog, and so has Tom Herman. I'll, I'll side with Georgia, something like 30-27, to 27, but I think it's going to be a really good four-quarter game. We're homers here, so we're going to say University of Texas is going to take it all, man. Hey, Dustin, thanks for being on <laughs> Docs and Jocks, man. We appreciate it. All right, guys, thanks, have Dustin. a good weekend. Enjoy Christmas. All right, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after a short commercial break. Brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, and this is Dr. Dan and Ferris. Man, I appreciate you guys being part of our show this week. Remember, if you ever want to find out more about our show and find out about uh, my sports medicine practice, Texas Sport and Spine, and uh, Ferris's uh, sports broadcasting, and find out about his career, you can find out all about our show, Docs and Jocks, by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. 
Texas.com. Ferris, appreciated uh, getting Dustin McComas on, talking all things University of Texas. There's a big Sugar Bowl coming up. If I was University of Texas fans, I would tell my friends all about that interview and have them go to docsandjocks.com and listen to that anytime, anywhere. Great interview. You know, Dustin uh, picked Georgia. I know. Uh, which surprised <laughs> you a little bit. It did. Uh, by three. What surprised me is that he said it's going to be a four-quarter game. I think Georgia is the second-best team in the country. Oh, Maybe so the good. third. Yeah. I think they are so good. I think there's Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson, and then there's a pretty significant drop. I'm not a fan that Notre Dame got in. It's not because I don't like Notre Dame or anything. It's just like I don't know how, how – I mean, they didn't – I'm not going to say they didn't play anybody, but they didn't play the, the likes of what Georgia did, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm – I'm not a real big believer in Oklahoma either, just because they can't they can't stop anybody. You know, I mean they they can score, but George George's I don't know. I, I think George's the, the 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 third best team, and it makes you think maybe they should go to eight teams because, um, you know it's hard for it's hard for Georgia to get in when you lose the SEC championship game and it's your you know your your second loss. It's just hard for you to get in. And Ohio State's playing really well right now too. They would be they would be a tough team to beat right now. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if uh, Ohio State played. Uh, Georgia, that'd be a good game for too as, as well. So yeah, it's going to be a good one. Though. The University of Texas, uh, New, it's New Year's Day, right? It's New Year's Day that actually the Sugar Bowl, Texas versus Georgia. I believe it's New Year's Day. I always forget it's New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. I forget which one it is. So anyway, so uh, we're going to be uh, talking a little Sal Artigia. Remember our guest we had on Ferris uh, just a few weeks yeah. ago, the uh, the guy from uh, Latin America. He was. Um, the guy that really brought in all the Hispanic players early on when you saw that first start happen in Sal Artiga was the guy that or Artiaga is how you say his name was the guy that first said, Hey, these there's a lot of great talent down here. We need to be bringing them in. But not only do we need to bring them in, we need to get these kids educated and get them uh, uh, you know, accommodated to the uh, way of living here in the United States so they end up staying and got them their GED and helped them acclimate and got them with families and got translators for them. And so now we see that Cuba and the Major League Baseball Players Association mm-hmm. just came to an agreement where Cuba can now send players over to play Major League Baseball without having to defect and then do the uh, trafficking illegally over here. A lot of them were getting on boats and doing crazy stuff back in the day to try and get to America. So now it's legal for Cuban players to come over. Do you think we'll see more of the Cuban flair in uh, Major League Baseball with that agreement just just happened? I hope so. I mean, you know, the Trump administration could still, if they roll back some of what Obama rolled in with the, those relations with Cuba, they could still could put a kibosh on it. But I hope so. I mean, there's a that, that that island has a ton of great baseball players. And so I think the more the merrier, you know, we want the MLB to be full of the best baseball players on the planet. So um, that's a big group of great baseball players. I love the way they play. I love their love for baseball. I hope it I hope it works out. Yeah, and let's just face it, that was very dangerous, man. The way they were defecting, the way they were coming over here yeah. back in the you know the 80s and 90s, they were doing it on boats, and it's very, very dangerous. Some of the stories of people, how they got out and all they went through to get here to play baseball was absolutely uh, horrifying. So, And then they always had to be under the fear. You know, They defected from their country. So, yeah, good that that's not happening anymore, so I'm glad. And, and, and also the other thing it does, I always think that freedom, whether um, – you know whatever stage it's on, but if you have the freedom to go play baseball and these guys experience freedom and they're telling their play, people back home about freedom and all the great things it allows, maybe Cuba will uh, once again open up and uh, become the great country it was back in the you know 40s and 50s. Yeah, you know, my daughter's in ballet we're, uh, and, and takes lessons at Ballet Arizona School of Ballet, but uh, there's we have two Cuban dancers that are two of the top uh, ballerinos and ballerinas there, and they had a defect. You know, they had to they had to try to get, you know, they're they're on a tour in Mexico and had to go and knock on a door and go, can we please have our passports? And the door shut and they were like, 
are we going to get, are they calling the cops? And the, the lady opened the door and gave them their passports and they took off running, you know, but it was like, <laughs> it was life or death, you know, yeah, yeah. to come over and experience the freedom. And now they're dancing, you know, at Symphony Hall in Phoenix, Arizona with, you know, a great ballet corps. So I agree with you, man. Introduce more freedom, and once people experience it, they're going to want more of it. I've taught a few uh, words to you today, hippocampus, uh, syndosmosis, and and a few others. I just learned something from you. Did you say, and this is how unsophisticated, uncultured I am, a ballerino is a male ballerina dancer? Is that what a ballerina is? I actually don't even know if that's true or not, but I just say ballerina. I don't don't even know. I was like, I had no idea. Makes sense, right? Ballerino, yeah, of course. Yeah, anyway, you should have rolled with that, Ferris. Yeah, Google it. Uh, so, hey, St. Louis Cardinals, man, they assigned uh, probably the two biggest free agency signings of the offseason so far have been Paul Goldschmidt, you know, perennial yeah. MVP, National League MVP guy, always in the top five. By the way, he played at Texas State University, great schools. Caleb Mutton's going to go play there, my son. So we're very excited about Paul Goldschmidt being a St. Louis Cardinal right now. And then they just signed Andrew Miller, the big lefty, who in 2016 was probably the premier uh, setup man and closer with the Indian, uh, Cleveland Indians. He has had a rough, rough go since then because of injury. And so a lot of teams passed on the big contract with Andrew Miller, but the Cardinals gave him $25 million for two years. He is a, the premier left-handed closer on the uh, free agency market this year. He was on the disabled list three times in 2018, two times in 2017. He's had a real problem with his uh, patellar tendon. He's had this tendonitis uh, in his uh, knee that's really kept him on the DL and, and sitting back the DL. But, man, if Andrew Miller can stay healthy, he's one of those nasty, tall lefties with wicked, wicked slider, very, very uh, reminiscent of uh, Madison Bumgartner-type style. Yeah. So if he's good, man, I think the Cardinals have really had two amazing pickups to get Goldsmith for this year, whether or not they keep him after his free agency year, and they traded for him. And then they pick up free agent uh, Andrew Miller. If Miller can come back from those injuries and be healthy, man, bar none, he's one of the best lefties in the game. Yeah, you kind of like that, right? You're you're uh, you don't you're not used to seeing this from your Cardinals going out and jumping know, into the uh, trade yeah. market, the free agent Did they market. Ever? Yeah, yeah, and they're not done. I mean, people are still saying that it's possible they might get into the uh, they might be a player. In the Bryce Harper sweepstakes, I mean, what would you think about that? Can you imagine? You and I did this. Uh, we were talking about what the lineup would be, but you know, you got Matt Carpenter, then you go uh, Bryce Harper, Ozuna, Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, and then it, it just—it's just amazing. That would be a crazy, crazy lineup. You never know how the team chemistry goes. Lots of different things play into it. They got a good, really good strong pitching staff that's pretty young so if you take a really young good pitching staff and you mix it with some veterans like Adam Wainwright and a few few others like Andrew Miller now at the back end of it and then you got uh, those young arm or young hitters and man you know Matt Carpenter last year hit 37 home runs so you add in another Bryce Harper who you hope hits 35 40 home runs you got Paul Goldschmidt who like you said last week can pencil in 30 home runs 100 mm-hmm. RBIs every year always high, high OPS he's on base guy that's a rare one. Then Ozuna's going to hit 30 home runs. you got four guys that very likely are going to hit you 120 home runs, just those four guys. Then you don't count in a power-hitting shortstop like Paul DeJong. Uh, you got Yadier Molina, who's probably going to hit you 15 home runs. So you guys have power sticks up and down that lineup with a few young guys that can run the bases like Harrison Bader. It's pretty scary. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if how much of a player they'll be uh for him like we talked about in the first first hour of the show. You know, he wants like 400 million bucks for yeah. 10, 12 years. 40 um, million a year. 
which is crazy. But they offered what did they? What was their final offer to Pools? And that was like six, seven years ago. It was like three hundred million, right? Or almost. Yeah, it was just thirty million lower because you yeah. and I always joke about just thirty million lower. Yeah, just ten years, two hundred seventy million. I think what their offer was, and ended up going for ten years, three hundred million to the uh, to the uh, Angels. See, I think I think at that point it becomes. L- it, there's there's a baseball component to it, and then there's an overall value to the organization component to it. That you can put finances on both because there's no way he's worth forty million dollars a year for ten years. You look at his numbers. We talked about it. Matt Carpenter has just as good a numbers as he does over the years. There's Bryce guys Harper, who have yeah. Goldie has better numbers than he has over yeah. those years. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're talking about paying Goldie, you know, eighteen, nineteen million dollars a year, not forty. So he's not worth it from a baseball standpoint. But how much bigger of a TV contract can you negotiate with Bryce Harper? How much more pub are you going to get nationally with Bryce Harper? How many more jerseys? How many more seats? You quantify all that, maybe he is worth $40 million a year. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, we, uh, would you go out and buy a Paul Goldschmidt jersey or a Bryce Harper jersey if they were on the same team? I'd I'd want to get both of them. So, yeah, it'd be yeah. really exciting. It's just like the New York Yankees when they got Stanton and they have Judge and Sanchez and all these big boppers out there. It's uh, They start competing with those kind of teams. So pretty amazing, man, what they're doing. But Andrew Miller, I think, is a key piece. They needed a left-handed bullpen guy. Now, you never know, just because he was good in 2016, look, Greg Holland right. was one of the best uh, set-up guys and closers in, in all of baseball, the Kansas City Royals back in – 2015 and they had him last year and he just tanked it man so you never never know which if you get the andrew miller of 2016 man katie bar the door if you get the andrew miller of the last two years this is his numbers in the last two years ferris uh 4.24 era 45 k's two saves three blown saves that was last year if you get that andrew miller then you're looking like another greg holland deal but yeah there's a lot of upside to andrew miller yeah, and it's not it's not a bad thing to take a shot with, right? Right. I mean, you're not giving him a ton of money. You're not you're not locked in for a long amount of time. So, give it a shot. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of fun though. But yeah, they they went out on that free agency market the last few years and done some great things. So we'll see what they do and if they're able to, uh, you know, make this thing make a run at it because they are in a National League Central filled with some really really good teams: the Pirates, the Cubs, the Reds. Uh, who am I leaving out? Somebody else I'm leaving out that's really, really the good. The Brewers. The Brewers, yeah. The, the team that won it last yeah, year. The team that just won it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So No, that's that's gotta be the best the best division in baseball right now, on paper. You know, yeah. we'll wait to see how they play, but that's gotta be the toughest division in baseball with the Brewers, Cardinals, and Cubs, and then the Pirates are right there knocking on the door. Reds have some work to yeah. do, but the Pirates are, the Pirates were right there a couple years ago. Yep, you're right. Hey, the Houston Rockets, uh, their uh, point guard, Chris Paul, is now out with another hamstring strain. And this guy, Chris Paul, is one of those players that is either one of the absolute best unstoppable players in the league or he is a guy that is injured, and he is oft injured, man. So he has been uh, now down with a hamstring injury the last two years. He's missed 45 games due to knee and hamstring issues. He's going to have an MRI of his hamstrings today to determine the grade of the strain and the way you strain hamstring or muscular injuries, if it is a, if you feel pain when you're eccentrically loading it. In other words, imagine laying on a table face down, your knee is bent at 90 degrees, and you're trying to force the person's heel to the table. That is long, elongating the hamstring muscle, but it's making it also contract at the same time. That's an eccentric load. If that causes him pain, but you don't see any damage on the MRI structurally, that's a grade one. A grade two is you see a injury on the hamstring. It's a partially uh, torn or frayed uh, injury, and uh, they have pain on their exam. Grade three is it's a, a partial rupture uh, where you're tearing across those fibers. Four is a full-on, uh, you know, rupture of the uh, of the hamstring muscle. 
So we'll see how he uh, does after the MRI. Most of the time you can kind of tell on their exam where that's at. Hopefully for him it's a one, one grade one or grade two. But man, I always say with hamstring strains, it's, it's always as bad as your patient feels it because if you try and bring him back too soon, if it's grade one and they're still hurting, man, they, they just don't do well. Chris Paul's one of those guys. He just continues to have hamstring injury after hamstring injury. Now he has 45 games last two years, and that's before this injury against Miami this week. So, man. Feel for the Houston Rockets. Feel for Chris Paul. He's a great talent. Just can't keep him on the floor. Yeah, that that gets a little annoying, you know, if you're spending all that money. I mean, you're no use not being on the floor. But we talk about all the time, Dr. Dan, some of these injuries, they they seem to be nagging. They seem to always come back for some guys. If they have hammy problems, they just tend to always kind of rear their ugly head, you know, throughout their entire career. Yeah, the area where you tear in your hamstring, it heals with a fibrous tissue. It's almost like a, a scar tissue. It's not as strong as the original hamstring muscle fibers were. So you get this tendinosis, we call it. It's just not as structurally as strong and as sound. So it's it's like having a chink in your armor. You know, you don't have the ability to say, hey, you're going to go back out there and be able to play at a high-intensity stop-start sport. Remember, your hamstring is your is is your brake in your lower leg. So, man, if, if you have a partial tear in your brakes in your car, you're not too sure about every time you slam on the brakes if your brakes are going to work. So, hey, we're going to be right back with more Docs and Jocks. Hey, stay tuned here on our last segment, man. we got one more great story about Odell Beckham Jr. We're going to share that with you on the other side of this short commercial break here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to our last segment here on Docs and Jocks. Man, we appreciate you being part of our show, and every week, man, we're so thankful for all our guests. Hey, thanks for making us one of the fastest-growing podcasts out there on iTunes. Go to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and subscribe if you haven't in the past. Uh, for myself, Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, and Ferris Potter, man, our, our sports broadcasting co-host, I want to say thank you for all our wonderful listeners. Ferris, I thought we'd close the show here talking about one of the greats in the game right now, Odell Beckham Jr. He's going to miss his third straight game with a quad injury. Remember, the Giants are now 5-9. and nine. They got two games left. Uh, he is not going to play against the uh, Colts this Sunday. And so they're talking about he may be ready for the finale against the Dallas Cowboys. Odell Beckham Jr. is one of those players. He likes the limelight. Made his great catch of all time, one of the greatest catches of all time against the Dallas Cowboys. By the way, the Cowboys won that game. Everybody forgets that. They just remember the catch. And, Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? He was injured on November 25th after he was leg-whipped by the Eagles linebacker, Camus uh, Gruger hill and uh, he is not, he was fined twenty thousand dollars for that uh, illegal uh, hit, and so he played the mm-hmm. next week against the Bears. But he said he reheard it in a setback in his practice the next week. Do you think Odell Beckham Jr. will be back against? He'll be want to play in that finale game against the Dallas Cowboys, or do you think he'll uh, miss that one as well? Oh, I think I think he'll be back. I mean, I I, w- I would think he'll be back, but yeah. you know, quad injuries are one of those ones that are very difficult because when you get hit, we talked about this last week. It feels like a bowl of jello in your leg when you get hit like that. It, it swells. Yeah. There's a lot of bleeding in it, so it bleeds up underneath the muscle, and so when you feel it, it feels like it juggles around in there and jiggles around. It's very hard to contract your quad when that's going on. It can take a few weeks for that blood to dissipate. Given the type of injury it was where he kind of got leg whipped and he got frogged in the quad muscle, I think that's why. What happened and then once you've had that happen what what are you laughing about are you that technical you're using all these technical words you got he got frogged well is he, that a, like do doctors say that or no no just here on docs and jocks and uh, okay. dr lingo i would say he had a, had a quad contusion to his vastus medialis how about that 
<laughs> so that's, that's I like frog better. <laughs> okay, he got, he got frogged in the uh, leg, and so he got uh, frogged. And then it's easier to come back once you've had it, and you get it banged again in practice, man. That's just things are easier to come back. I I dealt with that. I played linebacker in, uh, when I played football, and that was one of the common injuries that I kept dealing with every year. Once you got one of those going, man, it was easy to happen again. Hey, I want to say thank you to all the wonderful listeners. Remember, you can follow us anytime, anywhere, and you can also by going to docsandjocks.com. You can also contact us there. We'd love to have your question on air from myself, Dr. Dan, and my co-host, Ferris Potter. Man, we want to say thank you to all the wonderful fans. Hey, tell your friends and neighbors to go to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, on iTunes. Subscribe to our podcast and continue it being one of the fastest-growing podcasts out there. We'll see you all next week here on Docs and Jocks.